Ladies and gentlemen, for the past 37 years, you might not see me very often, but my heart is here. I want to thank Jeffrey Hollander. Thank you so much for in the Brotherhood, Bruce, and all others to arrange this for me to be able to speak. I want to thank a special Rabbi Stein, my old friend. I love you, Rabbi Stein. I want to say thank a special family here. When I look at you, my heart grows. The Alzheimer's, would you please, Noah, Sarah, Jennifer, and Mr. Alzheimer, please come up. I need to hug you. <laughs>
but not for long after the Nazis invaded Poland. I had a loving family, mother, father, grandparents. Most of all, I had three older brothers. I was the youngest in the family. I was 13 years old when the Nazis invaded Poland. Two of my brothers were married. My oldest brother had two small children, a little boy five and a half, a little girl two and a half, but not for long. My second brother who was married shortly before the war started, he lived in a distant city, not far from us. He managed to get away to Russia. He was the only survivor from my whole family, which consisted of, with my extended family, about 60-some people who were killed during the Nazi regime just because we were Jews. His wife didn't want to go. She said, you go. Mm -hmm. If it's going to be okay, I will follow you. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, she never made it. Mm -hmm. I will tell you to the end of my story how I find, found out about my brother, where I was reunited with him and through whom. In the meantime, the Nazi regime is giving out orders to the Jewish people to wear a yellow star of David on our chest to be identified as we were Jews. I always say to the students, to the people I speak for, imagine if we would not wear that star of David, how could they tell who is Jewish, who is not? Unfortunately, I must tell you, we had a lot of collaborators but in the same breath, I'm saying collaborators, I want you all to be proud of what I'm just gonna say next. We had a lot of Christian people who helped us. And I will tell you to the end of the story what they have done to help us. In the meantime, six young boys defied the orders and didn't want to put on the Star of David. They were rounded up by the Gestapo and their collaborators. They were beaten into a big square where the gallows were ready for them. They uprooted all the Jewish people from our town, mothers, fathers, and children. We were marching under guard and being beaten to march faster and faster. Ladies and gentlemen, what we have encountered was the most heartbreaking sight. Six beautiful human beings, 15, 16 years old, with ropes around their necks. And gallows, what have they done to deserve this? the cries of the people, the prayers to God, was unbearable. Elder men tried to help. They took out all the cash, what they had from their pocket, pockets. 
They took off their jewelry, like wedding bands and watches. They thought they were going to bribe the Nazis from hanging them. But ladies and gentlemen, they couldn't. They took all the loot collected and hung them in front of our eyes. Do you know how hard it is for me or for any of our survivors to speak about this? There is only a handful of people of the survivors who can speak about this. Some of them don't even tell their grandchildren their whole story. As parents, as grandparents, we want to shield our children from such horrifying heartaches. But the story is so huge. Everybody has to learn. So this will never happen again. And this is the only reason why I am speaking what happened to our loved ones. Unfortunately, we cannot bring them back. But I can make it better for all of you, for future generations. So this will never happen to Noah or Sarah or millions and millions of other children. Ladies and gentlemen, they took loads of loot connect, collected and hung them in front of our eyes. After this ordeal, they announced, if you don't obey orders, this is what's going to happen to you. They send us back to our homes, but not for long. Every single day, there were sneak attacks at the Jewish homes. We never knew which house, which street, is going to be next. The first ones from my immediate family who were taken out was my oldest and my youngest brother. I always speak about that. My youngest brother, I always say, was one of the best students in school. He was such a wonderful brother. We had so much in common. He was just two and a half years older than I was. Ladies and gentlemen, I remember every word I tell you, like I would live it the instant I am speaking. I see it, I live it, and this is what it makes it so hard. But I say to the people I speak, you give me the energy. When I come in to the auditorium or to any room where I ever, where I ever, wherever I speak, when I look at the people, you energize me. I, some people say, Paula, don't you have anything written down in front of you? I say, no. It just pours out of me. It just comes. As I say every word, I see it, I live it. Ladies and gentlemen, they took them away on open, filthy trucks. By the hundreds, we didn't know where they were taking them. Mothers, fathers, and children running behind the trucks where their loved ones were. I was behind the truck where my brothers were. 
As they were pulling away, I was right behind the truck. I called their names. I didn't see my older brother. He was punched down with the other people. But Shiver, his name was Shiver, my youngest brother's name. My oldest brother's name was Moshe. My middle brother's name, who ran away to Russia, was Shmerlal. I didn't see Moshe, but Shimek got up as high as he could and waved to me like this. Do you know in every presentation I wave like my brother did? I can't forget. He waved to me and said, Paula, don't worry, I will be back. But when I come to the point where they didn't come back, I still get a skip in my heart. I just cannot forget that. They didn't come back. And they came for us. I was with my parents. We hear the shouts and screams. Ladies and gentlemen, we had to get out from our homes with just the clothes on our backs. We couldn't take nothing with us. When we came down on the street, there were so many people waiting for us already. Among those people were a lot of religious Jews with black barb and black hats. Ladies and gentlemen, those people, I don't need to tell you, is a very kind, learned people. They would give their shirts off their backs if you needed it. They ordered us to march. And as we are marching, they are pulling the beards from these poor men's chins. They are cutting them with scissors and knives. The cries of the people, but we are being beaten to march faster and faster. They marched us into a big school. Actually, it was the school where I attended and all my brothers did. They pushed us in, filled the capacity to each classroom. There were no chairs. They took out the lights. It was evening. Mothers, fathers, and children huddling on the floor. Children crying their hearts out. Mothers shushing them to be quiet. Men, fathers praying to God to help us. A little while into this commotion, somebody opens the door. A man in a Gestapo uniform. My mother, like she would see an angel, she runs up to him and she begs him. Hans, she called his name. His name was Hans. Hans, please take out my little girl. I'm 13 years old. He looked down at her. He was really mad at her. And he answered her in German, I don't know you. But ladies and gentlemen, the man in the Gestapo uniform was no other but a neighbor of ours. I went with his children to school. We did our homework together. We ate in each other's homes. What happened to my neighbor? I started to cry and beg both of my parents not to make any scenes. I don't want to be taken out. And I always point to the students, to the younger groups, 
Can you imagine yourselves to be torn away from your loving parents at such a tender age? What are we going to do without them? But it was not to be. A little while into this commotion, it was dark. There was no lights anywhere. Somebody opens the door again. And from all these people in that room, reaches for my arm and pulled me out and literally threw me across the hall into another classroom with screaming, crying children like myself. We never saw our parents again. We were orphans already. Ladies and gentlemen, at four o'clock in the morning, they opened up those doors and they marched us into a ghetto. Poland had a lot of ghettos. Actually, Poland had the most ghettos in Europe under the Nazi regimes than other countries. The biggest ghetto in Poland was Warsaw. The second biggest ghetto in Poland was Lodz. After a short time, they sent us to the Lodz ghetto. I always say I was lucky. Of course, to survive it, we were lucky. But when we did, when we survived, we did not think at the time we were so lucky. Why did the others not survive? Why did we survive? That was our problem. But ladies and gentlemen, I was lucky to be taken in to a kind couple, the people who lived in the ghettos already. They had to take in more people to their little rooms where they shared with so many other people. People were coming and going. Some of the faces I don't remember. I was taken in to a young couple before the war. The husband was a principal in a school in Lodge. His wife, his beautiful wife, was a school teacher. The wife had a sister, her name was Ruta. I always speak about Ruta. Ruta was a few years older than I. She became the sister I never had. I had three brothers. Ladies and gentlemen, on every step they helped me. They did so much good for me. We worked in different capacities in the large ghetto. I worked in a straw factory. We were standing like in a barn-like, and we were braiding store, uh, straw. When the braids were huge, we were twirling them around into barrels. They told us those are going to the fronts to shield the Nazi soldiers. This was all forced labor. We had to do it, otherwise they would kill us. I worked in a shoe factory, in a plastic factory. And they rotated us into different facilities. They didn't tell us why. When I was transferred from one place to another, I was from malnutrition. They gave us a ration once a week, which consisted of meager, stable foods. 
Most people, no fruits, no vegetables. Most people ate it up in one or two days. But what are we going to do for the rest of the week? We were scavenging for peels from potatoes and other things, whatever we could find. When I was 14 and a half years old, I was walking around with a cane from malnutrition. So many people died of starvation in the ghettos. There was nobody to help you. There was no win. Either you were sent away to a concentration camp and they did away with you there, or you died in the ghettos. Ladies and gentlemen, when they came for us, I was with Ruta. We hear again the shouts and the screams to get out, and we did. We could take something with us, but all I had was a little picture of my mother. You see, when we marched to that school, I told you where we, when we were taken out from our homes and we marched to that school, we could take nothing. But by sheer chance, my mother happened to have had a little picture of herself in her pocket. That's another thing I always talk about. As we were being beaten to march faster and faster, when we went to that school, evidently she knew we are going to be divided. Mm. She took out that little picture of her from her pocket and stuck it in mine. Something to remember her by. Mm. How did I remember my mother in the lodge ghetto? Every night when I shared a little spot on the floor with Ruta, I had this picture in front of my eyes and cried my heart out. What would I have given then to see her face again? That's the only thing what I have. They are marching us now to the cattle cars. In your wildest dreams, you cannot imagine what went on in each compartment. I'm sure most of you have visited the Holocaust Center. If you have a chance, put your head in, close your eyes, and just think what went on inside in each compartment. It's unspeakable, men, women, and children being beaten in to settle in. How can we settle in? When they finally thought we settled in, they padlocked those doors. Yes, they padlocked those doors. We started to move. We were riding and stopping for days and nights, but they never opened up those doors. Human cargo. When they finally opened up those doors, we stopped for good. They announced we arrived to Auschwitz. Frankly, as a kid, I never knew anything about Auschwitz, a huge concentration camp, guards everywhere, barracks everywhere. Somewhere far away, I see women, women they look like from outer space, shaven heads, prison little dresses. Most of them were barefoot. And they scream out to the new arrivals in different languages. My God, 
Where are you coming from? It's sheer hell here. The different languages came from different countries. Wherever the Nazi regime conquered a country in Europe, most of the people, I would say 80% of the Jewish people, were sent to Auschwitz, where most of them lost their lives. They would not allow them to come close. Ladies and gentlemen, in front of my compartment stood a white uniformed gentleman. If I should call him gentleman, No, come on. They will come and, you know, this is sometimes a problem, but the students and the teachers, they never leave. They say, let Paula finish the story. You will go in a few minutes later, it's okay. <laughs> because the story of what you are hearing from my mouth, I am sure you will never hear it again. You might never even meet a Holocaust survivor because most of our beautiful survivors are dying out. In a few years, there will be nobody left but you, the good people who come to listen to us. You will carry on and you will make sure this, this will never happen again. As I said in front of my compartments to the white uniform gentleman. His name was Dr. Mengele, the butcher of Auschwitz. Mm. They were preaching what will happen to us. You will never survive Auschwitz. This is your last stop. That's what they told us. Next to him were guards with vicious dogs. Dr. Mengele orders all the boys and the men to get out first. Ladies and gentlemen, they took them away. We never saw them again. To the women, to the girls, he raises his arm like I'm raising it now, points with his finger. As we are going out, leaving the compartments, the cattle cars, all the men said was right, links, right, links, right, left, right, left, mm. in a very fast, fast fashion. I went with Ruta to the right. We did not know which is the good way, which is the bad way. We had to go wherever they told us, otherwise they would kill us on the spot. The people who accumulated to the left were taken away. The people who accumulated to the right were told we are going to have showers. They took us in to the bathhouses. When I marched in with my group, I noticed piles of human hair, piles of shoes, piles of clothes, and piles of gold. Tons of gold was collected from the Jewish people as they came to Auschwitz day and night from all over Europe under the Nazi regime. The gold, ladies and gentlemen, consisted of wedding bands, watches, bracelets, and so on, earrings, to help the Nazi war machines.
You see, they were very well organized. When the piles were big enough, or were too big, they took most of them away, but they always left little piles for the new arrivals to know how it's being done. Now you better do it the way they show you, otherwise they would kill you. Many guards are ordering us to get to strip and put all of our belongings on those piles, and we do. We are all naked now. Men guards proceed to Shiva's. Most girls came to Auschwitz with long hair. They shaved us everywhere. They disinfected us with smelly solutions and big brushes everywhere. I am still sick from the ghetto, but I'm holding one thing what I had, the little picture of my mother, and I'm mumbling to Ruta, to my friend, I am not going to leave this picture, even if they kill me. It was so small, I could crush it in my fist. Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't want to leave that. They are beating me. They are accusing me. Since I'm hiding something. I had told them already before. I had a little picture of my mother. They are beating me. They are beating me over my body, over my head for holding a little picture. Ladies and gentlemen, they are pulling on my fist and they were stronger than I. The picture fell with a face up. When I looked down, I was crying bitterly. I tried to retrieve it. When I looked down, my mother said to me, Paula, walk away. You're gonna be okay. She wasn't there to say that. But in my heart, she was. A lot of times, I asked the audience, I asked the people. Sometimes they are clergy in my audience. And I say, was she there? And the answer I get, yes, she was. Yes, Rabbi Sign. Yes, Rabbi Miller. And all the lay people, every and every student, they tell me, yes, she was. In my heart, she was, ladies and gentlemen. I tried to retrieve it, but they stepped on it. And they pushed me in with other people. And we had showers. But remember, I told you they were people who went to the left, who were not as lucky as I was. Rabbi Burley, I know I bring out a lot of tears every time I speak, I know. The people who went to the left were not as lucky as I. All the people who went to the left perished in the crematoriums in Auschwitz. After the showers, we received a pair of wooden shoes, no socks, a little prison dress, no underwear. We looked at each other. We looked like sheeps like naked sheeps, what happened to our lives. 
What did we do to deserve this? They were no answers. For some reason, the Gestapo derived pleasures to see naked girls. Every few hours they came to the barracks. They ordered us to get dressed, get out. They need to count us, like we were going to run away. There was no nowhere to run, you would be killed on the spot. All we had to do was take off our little dress and we were naked. They took our dignity away a long time ago. We had nothing left. On each counting, they took out the most beautiful girls. We had so many beautiful girls. Ruta was a beautiful girl. They pulled her away with so many others. They all perished in the crematoriums in Auschwitz. I was not too long in Auschwitz after this ordeal. They sent us away to another camp. The name of the camp was Ravensbrück. Ladies and gentlemen, what went on in Ravensbrück, I'm not gonna go into it. You can see already where I'm coming from and where I'm going. For the past, actually, for the past two, three years, I don't speak about Ravensbrück. What went on in there, what I have witnessed with my own eyes, what they did to my life is unspeakable. Fortunately, I was not long enough there. I was sent with a large group away to another camp. After a short time, the name of the camp was Mühlhausen, deeper and deeper into Germany. But Mühlhausen, I remember with kinder thoughts. We worked in ammunition factories. They were all situated in the woods. We opened up a brand new camp. They gave us a cup of coffee early in the morning and a piece of bread when we got, you know, in the morning, when we came home in the evening from the factory, they gave us a piece of bread and a little soup, it was something. But what I remember most about Mühlhausen was my German foreman. He was the kindest German I have met under the Nazi regime, a blink of happiness. Ladies and gentlemen, he had a granddaughter. She was about my age. Her name was Paula. In German, my name is Paula. He was the kindest person. He always managed to stop by my station and talk to me. He told me about his family. I told him about mine. He always made sure the guards are far away because they were always watching us. You know, a foreman, the Nazis, they could not speak to the, to the prisoners. We were prisoners, imagine. <coughs> he brought me as often as he could, a piece of bread or some rags to put around on my feet. He stopped by my station one day and he said, Paula, the war is coming to an end any time now. 
They have murdered millions of Jewish people and millions of children. Do whatever you can to survive and maybe you'll be lucky enough to find somebody from your family. Ladies and gentlemen, the regrets I have to this day, I never asked them his name. But what I say to the students I speak for, look, one person can make such a difference on your life. One person with a little kindness, he reached out to me. He loved me as a person and I love him to this day. In every presentation for the past 27 years, I remember my German foreman for the kindness he has shown to a little lost soul like myself and I'm sure to many others. He didn't see a little Jewish person in front of him. What he has seen in front of him was a human being. And I shall never forget the kindness I will always, in my future presentations, I will always speak about him. In this, what I teach, reach out to that stranger. We were all strangers somewhere, sometimes. Reach out to that person who is struggling. We never know what's going on at home, how their parents are struggling. Become a friend, become a mentor. You will never be forgotten. Ladies and gentlemen, the war is coming to an end. They are closing all the concentration camps and they are marching us out under guard. Where we are going, we don't know. We are marching without food or water. Men were not together with women in concentration camps, at least not where I was. We see far on the horizon men marching from different directions, women from different directions. This is over five years already. They are falling to the dust. If a friend or a stranger fell over to help, the guards killed the one who fell. And sometimes they ordered the second person who fell over to help get up. Either she or he could not get up anymore or didn't want to live anymore. So the guards kill the one who fell and the one who tries to help. And as we are marching, the group is getting smaller and smaller. You see trails of bodies. We are marching into the last camp the name of the camp was Bergen-Belsen. As you see in my young years, I traveled a lot. <laughs> with the wrong people in the wrong times. When I walked in with my small group to Bergen-Belsen, I couldn't believe my eyes. Scattered, decayed bodies all over Bergen-Belsen. Human waste ditches all over Bergen-Belsen. No water, no bread. Vicious women guards are beating the skeletons who can still walk. And I say, 
Didn't they love somebody? Didn't somebody love them? I am sure they were capable of loving and being loved in return. But they hardened their heart and soul towards one of the oldest people in the world, the Jewish people. Ladies and gentlemen, the beatings continued. From all these people they are calling, from all these people they are beating, they are picking 40 girls. I am among the 40 girls to be picked. Instead to kill us, they are sending us into a kitchen to peel potatoes. Now we haven't eaten for days and nights or had a drink of water. We stop our mouths with the raw peels, the raw potatoes. We swallow it as fast as we can. We are so hungry. But as soon as they see us do that, they take us all out. Remember, we have no underwear. We have to bend over. We receive 25 leather straps for eating a piece of raw peel or raw potato. Again, I say, didn't they love somebody? The beatings certainly continues. At this point, we cannot keep our head up straight. We have high temperature. We have lice crawling all over us. We rake the lice with our bare hands, ladies and gentlemen, into the kettle where we are peeling those potatoes. But we have to continue to do that bear this wonderful moment of liberation. We hear shootings, we hear bombs, right in front of our kitchen. Beautiful young soldiers on jeeps are storming in to the kitchen and screaming out with joy, you are free, you are liberated. You know, when I say these words every time, when I speak twice a week, sometimes three times a week, I still get chills through my body. We know what they are saying, but we cannot get up on our own. We are so sick. Instead, we fall to the ground. We reach for the boots of the soldiers. We hug those boots. We raise our heads to thank them. They see what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. They do whatever they can to help us. But for most of us, it was too late. So many people died even after liberation. As you probably, I'm sure most of you have been to the Holocaust Center, you have seen the mass graves and you say to yourselves, who were those people? They were our people who did not make it. Ladies and gentlemen, I say when a person dies of natural causes, we have a grave where we can call, we can go and cry our hearts out. We survivors don't have this privilege Therefore, we are building Holocaust centers, teaching centers to teach you
So this will never happen again. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want, I know we are late. We have to finish that story. I was reunited, I told you in the beginning, with my brother, but ran away to Russia. When he came back to Poland, he found nobody. He registered to go to Israel. At that point, we did not know about each other, but we all knew we had family in Detroit. Most of you remember the Botsford Hospital. The founder of the Botsford Hospital, Alan Seeger, was my first cousin. His father was my uncle, my mother's brother. I remembered as a child my mother corresponded with her family. I knew I wanted to go to America. My brother was 12 and a half years older than I. He too remembered that. Through the Red Cross Jewish-seeking organizations, we found our family in Detroit. Mm. They connected us. They told my brother I am alive. They told me this he is alive. I was reunited with my brother in Israel 32 years later. I don't need to tell you our meeting I had the privilege of bringing him here twice to this beautiful country of ours, the United States of America. I went there many times. When I came to America, I was married to Martin Marx. You see, after the war, there were no mothers, no fathers, no grandparents for sure. There were only young people. I was almost 18 years old. My late husband was 19. He died of pancreatic cancer in 1988. I was remarried four years later to Philip Bolton, a pharmacist, a great human being. We were married. He was, he was born right here in America. He had a wonderful family. My kids loved him. I had to have two daughters. One granddaughter, which was in the National Guard for 10 years. For the past five and a half years, she's been in the United States Army. I have only one granddaughter and two great-grandchildren. One is 10 and one is eight. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you again for coming here and learning what happened to our lives. And as I always say, may God bless you and keep you. May God bless the United States of America.